As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right, Danae, kick us off with the spoiler cast theme song. We're about to take a movie and tell you all about it. So if you don't want to know about The Revenant, it's not a good time to listen. Yay! Very nicely Thank done. Thank you, Very everyone. Done. Thank you. The spoiler cast theme song is different every week, just so you will never know what it's going to be. <laughs> we don't want to spoil you. <laughs> All right, uh, we're going to spoil The Revenant now. If you didn't listen to the podcast proper, that would be uh, the Sift Pop podcast on The Revenant. Um, you might want to do that first before listening to the spoiler cast because we will take as granted that you kind of know our opinions on the film beyond you know the non-spoiler way. And uh, we're going to go into more of what actually happens in the movie. Now, Danae, for you, this will spoil the movie for you. I'm okay with that. And that's okay because you've decided not to see it. That's correct. So you don't mind. Um I know there's a bear. <laughs> yeah, that's not much of a spoiler. That's I kind know of... he survives because I went to look up the guy, and <laughs> apparently he dies later on in a separate Indian attack in his life. <laughs> which is not addressed in the movie. Which is, okay, so he's not, like, killed in the movie. Nope, okay. nope. He lives in the movie uh, all the way up into the end. He lives to die in a later attack by Indians. <laughs> that is, like, I am so thankful I did not live in the 1800s. <laughs> It's like if you survive it an Indian a turbulent attack, time. if you survive an Indian t- attack, you know there's another one coming, especially if you're a fur trader. Um, let's start there. I think that's as good a place as any to start uh, with the true story and how it differs from um, this story. And there's just a couple points to mention. But in this story, the reason he is on a revenge quest is because this other man that has been with him on this expedition uh, played by Tom Hardy. Uh, I forget the character. Fitzgerald. Fitzgerald. Yeah, Fitzgerald is the name. Um, is stationed once he has been attacked by this bear. Is it Fitzpatrick or Fitzgerald? Uh, I thought it was Fitzgerald. Fitzgerald. Okay. Um, Fitzgerald, yeah. He's he's stayed in Bridger was the other the other guy who actually became a, a famous. Um, I just I just want to say I'm I'm on Wikipedia and it says Bridger and Fitzpatrick, but I'm right, reading more cool. about his real story, so I don't know. Cool. Maybe Could they be. changed it for the movie. Well, the, character, the character was Fitzgerald. So in real life, in real life, uh, supposedly these two men, Bridger and Fitz something, uh, are are left to take care of Hugh Glass after he has been attacked by a bear 
and to bury him when he dies because nobody thinks he's going to live. He was viciously attacked. Uh, in the movie, his you know his throat is cut, his back is you can is see all his, the pieces. You can see like his intestines, like, yeah, just on the floor. It, his back is open, slash marks everywhere. He he's down for the count. He should be dead. So they are left to give him an honorable burial. Uh, in the movie, the Fitz uh, Fitzgerald Fitzpatrick character is somebody who does not like him, does not appreciate. You know, they've kind of been built up as rivals, but he's left to give him an honest burial. In the true story, it's just those two men. In the movie, there's a third person with him, which is his son. His son by a Native American woman, so he would be half Native American this, and then half white. This is a decision likely what made to give an understanding that our main character is uh, somebody who loves the Indian nation. Yes. Because there is a war going on at this point between the fur traders and the or at least has empathy for them, understands them, you know, has done, you know, lived time with them. So in the movie, he, his, his son, his half native American son is killed by the Fitzgerald character in front of him while he can't speak or do anything because he's been decapacitated by this bear. Uh, and the reason he is killed is because he decides to kill Hugh glass to make the process quicker. Really interesting scene, by the way, which we can stop and discuss a little bit. It's I would call it the blinking scene. This really powerful moment where he's yes. he's like, um, if you, if you want to die, you just you just blink at me. You just blink at me, and and I'll make it happen. And he just and he doesn't blink, but he keeps going. You know, he's like, just blink whenever you blink. I'll... So he is now in the position of having to try not to blink if he doesn't want to die, or to blink if right. he does. I found that really compelling. And it was not only was it compelling, it's, it's like torturous. It's like, you, what do you mean? Like, tell me, tell me whatever you want me to do, just breathe. It's like, that's not fair. I have to breathe. <laughs> I have to blink. So you, immediately you, you, you go in rooting against Tom Hardy's character because like this guy is a jerk. He's deliberately trying to force Leo into giving him the decision he wants to hear. He's not giving him a fair shot at even answering honestly. It's just, if you blink, I'm going to kill you. All right, well... Well, I don't. What? What do you? What do you? Just have a staring contest for my life? That's not fair. That's and yet at some so, point, at one point, you know, at the crucial point, he deliberately blinks. Right? There's no mistaking that he closes his eyes deliberately. And I had trouble. And I think maybe the movie is a little bit it leaves it up in the air on purpose. Um, I had trouble knowing was he just like I can't keep my eyes open anymore, so I'll just make it deliberate, or did he really want to die in that moment? What do you think? I was thinking that he was trying not to blink, but he was trying to close his eyes and open them eventually, slowly. And what constitutes a blink and what constitutes a quick nap, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think Leo was at that point where if I close my eyes really slowly and open them after five seconds, that's not a blink. Interesting. That is not how you blink. You blink, you wink. It's a quick action. It's like a snap of a finger. You don't put your fingers together and hold them there for a minute and then release. It's like it's... So I'm thinking he was like, I need to rest my eyes, but I don't want you to think I'm blinking. So I'm just going to leave them closed for a longer than normal period of time and hope that you get the message. And unfortunately, Fitzgerald is like, whatever, your eyes are closed. I'm going to kill you. So that's that's sort of it. And I think uh, whether I didn't necessarily read it that way, I wondered if maybe was he was one. Maybe he was ready. Interpretation yeah. knows. Um, but either way. What causes the the rest of the movie to move forward is the son comes back while he is suffocating 
Hugh Glass. And so the son is trying to save his dad. Son is trying to save his dad. And in order to keep him quiet, if nothing else, he kills him right in front of his father. And that sets off the rest of the movie, which is both survival and revenge. So now he is after this this man as well as and I think it's safe to say it is what keeps him alive in this movie. It is what keeps him surviving. He has the only thing he really cares about is like, I need to kill my son's killer. And I need to make sure that he sees justice, or at least the end of my knife. And that otherwise, he he like you said, he seemed at the very least uh, maybe not willing, but he had sort of resigned himself to I'm going to die. I might as well just let Tom Hardy suffocate me here. But as soon as he has a purpose, as soon as he has a life to avenge, it's just game on. He's going to crawl out of that ditch in the cold British Columbia forest and hike across rivers and mountains and Indians and buffalo so he can he can get this guy's throat. And it's just you want to see him succeed because of how badly he's been wronged and how personal it happened. Like he saw his son die right in front of him. So it's like, wow, this guy, he's got the, the you know, the butt end of the stick on every situation here. And you just want to see him succeed and come back from it. And that's why I think that's why it's a really enjoyable film as, as harsh and as brutal as it is. It's like, yes, I want you to keep going. Don't give up, buddy. And, you know, he doesn't, which is good. I think it's it's also of note that after um, after he's killed the son and the third person comes back, the Bridger character, who is very young, and that is a part of the folklore as well, is that Bridger was very young when this happened. 19. Uh, 19 years old. Uh, when he comes back, then Tom Hardy's character says, oh, well, I saw you know Native Americans. We need to get out of here, even though he's not dead yet. And they kind of bury him alive in leave him there because Bridger wouldn't leave without at least giving him a burial, even though he was still alive. That's what I read on Wikipedia, which we know Wikipedia is pieced together by people and may (laughs) not be entirely accurate. But I read that um, the Fitz character, Fitzgerald, Mm -hmm. um, is 23 at the time. So they're both fairly young. And they left because, according to the The legend legend story, Mm -hmm. is that there was um, apparently... Indians coming and so they threw a bear pelt over his body thinking that he was just going to die and then they left in the movie it is much more intent an intentional deception right on yes. Tom Hardy's character interesting mm-hmm. well again it creates that you know more of that motivation for us to want him to come to justice you know now in the movie how does he get like does he seek out these two kids as bridger and fitz character and like kill him so in the movie uh he does well he he's surviving to get back to the camp right um and there's a lot that happens in that survival uh that we can touch on um here in a second but to move the 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 plot ahead yes he gets back to the camp Bridger's there. He forgives Bridger, which I think is also part of the lore That's because of, of his age. his youth. And also in the movie, it's also because he wasn't really that involved. Right. Bridger really didn't Do didn't anything. have much to do he, with he him being that left. Too. I mean, I think that's what what makes the sort of dramatic irony really compelling is that uh, DiCaprio is aware of Fitzgerald's treachery and and his traitorousness, treason, I guess. And but he's also aware that that Will Poulter's character, this uh, the Bridger guy. He's also aware that he didn't want to go along with it. He heard his cries of protest like, we should at least give this guy a proper burial. He's not even dead yet. What are we doing? Is it really an Indian attack? So it's obvious from from Leonardo, Hugh Glass's perspective, like he, he was sort of an unwitting accomplice. So he's, 
I, and, I, and I'm glad that the movie played it out that way and made him forgive him at the end. Because like if he went out and just mercilessly killed everyone involved just because they were part of it, it was sort of, if you're not with me, you're against me. I think it would have made us like the protagonist a lot less. It's like, well, he's, right. he's not very redeemed. If he just kills everybody indiscriminately, he's not very redeemable or worth rooting for. But because he's aware and he still has that moral compass, despite everything he's gone through, he's like, you know what? You may have done wrong by me, but it wasn't intentional, so I'm going to forgive you. But Tom Hardy, you deliberately killed my son and tried to kill me, so he doesn't get a pardon. And I, and I like that. It was sort of a nuance for the character that, it, especially back in the 1800s, it could have been very easy for him, like, I'm just going to kill everybody. Right. Um, but they, they played it They it's, played it a little bit more, I don't know, again, I don't know if that follows the, the history or not, but it was... It does it, it follow the legend, yeah. Later in the film. Wasn't it interesting, yeah. too, that they apparently chose to change this Fitzgerald Fitzpatrick's name? Because in the lore, it's Fitzpatrick. So I wonder if they took some liberty. I mean, obviously, we don't know 100% what was true anyway, but... They took the. They switched his name around. Oh, you think they intentionally switched the name as did. to not cast because, that light on an actual person? Yeah, hmm. I think so because you know in the the Wikipedia version, and I'm like piecing together this is kind of as I go a little bit in in the lore version, his name is Fitzpatrick, and um, you know he goes on to join the army and stuff like this. So does I'm assuming that that Leo or Hugh Glass in the movie kills. Our yes. Fitzgerald guy. Yeah. It's really interesting too because, and this this is uh, you know obviously the big spoiler about the end, and then I do want to touch on some of the stuff in the middle. But there's this secondary plot line that is important to what happens at the end of why the Native Americans are attacking these fur traders, and also there's a French army that does some trading with them that kind of gets involved because one of the local uh, is it Pawnee or Cree? I can't remember. One of the local tribes. Uh, had a daughter taken from the chief. A daughter was taken uh, by, it turns out, the one of the French armies um, and kidnapped. And so that's why they're attacking. Well, at one part of the movie, Hugh Glass's character frees her from her captors. And that comes back to play at the end when they're in this big fight, this big, you know, he's found him, he's, you know, tracked him down and they're in a, you know, fight for their life. Uh, when Hugh Glass's character decides not to kill Fitzgerald, but rather because he sees these Indians across the river, let the body float down the river, still conscious, to these Indians and have them finish the job. Mm. As you know, and then these Indians just walk past him because it's the daughter who knows that he saved her, right? And so they don't attack right. him. There's sort of that that there's there's you know no words spoken, but that sort of knowing glance, like hey, you did me a solid. We're gonna look the other way and let you go. Uh, which was good. I was sort of like a quiet, not sort of the really over dramatized, satis- not, not not really like the satisfaction we were hoping for. Um, like we, I kind of wanted to see Leo finish the job himself. Um, but also, it's I think it's more powerful to let him. He sort of gets to where he needs to be, and he finally sort of pulls back from the ledge, uh, kind of like Batman. You know, he's 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 wants to hurt the bad guys, but never kill them. And basically, uh, good... he hears the the voice of his, uh, you know, son. former no, his, his I don't know if you'd say wife, but the mother of his son, uh, who has been kind of a an apparition to him through this entire process. Like she's been bringing him through the survival. There's some really interesting um, ways that that's you know that's portrayed. I think at one moment it pulls back and it shows her like floating horizontally right above him as he's laying on the ground or whatever. Mm. You know, so it, it kind of shows that she's part of this passion too, but she basically says to him, 
um, basically the the scripture verse that says, you know, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, you know, basically mm-hmm. says to him the idea of uh, vengeance isn't yours to take. And so that's, you know, he kind of, that's his, his final thing is that it's not my vengeance to, to take in this moment. And he leaves it for somebody else. Um, according to Wikipedia, mm-hmm. this Fitzpatrick person who we're assuming is based Fitzgerald in the movie. Yeah, mm-hmm. Fitzgerald in the movie. Um, it's interesting because it says that he, Glass, goes and he finds Bridges and he finds, he like he does go back for them and mm-hmm. he spared their life is what it says in, in yeah. the article. So it looks like he, well, and in you the, know, in his real life was actually doing, like he was intending to return and, and get his stuff back and, and seek revenge and he forgives Bridges for his age but Fitzpatrick had joined the, the military, mm-hmm. and so he decided that because there's ramifications for killing a soldier, according to law, that he let him go. Yeah, and in, in the real life legend, he didn't kill either of them. Yeah. So, and I guess that's true in the movie too. Technically, he didn't kill either of them. But, um, but yeah, that's that's interesting. Well, he kind of he kind of did he kind of did Tom Hardy the same favor. He left him for dead. Yeah, yeah. that's true. That's a good that's point. True. I didn't even think about that. That is a beautiful symmetry, actually. There is a there. I'm, I'm not. I'm not going to kill you, but I'm going to put you in a situation that's all but impossible to get out from. Yeah, and that was. It's. It's. It is. It, it's a good sort of poetic symmetry and, and parallel to the to their two fates. That he one was strong enough to survive, the other one was doomed. The second the Indians got him, which the, was immediately. But <laughs> um, that final fight scene is, in my mind, barely excuse the pun, barely second to the bear attack as far as intensity and incredible, you know, oh, cinematography. Oh, and I, I was just, it was, there are moments, there's a moment right off, uh, right at the beginning where he swings an ax and, and cuts off like three of the fingers of Tom Hardy's character or whatever. And the yeah. way, the way that is portrayed on screen is so real. Like it doesn't do the thing that movies do where it zooms into a close up, So you see it happen it just it's again just like you're watching it happen and you can tell he cut his fingers off and you can tell it was crazy and painful and but it's just there's just something about the way he's shooting these intense scenes that is so dramatic like any like unlike anything I've I've really ever seen before no i mean the the sequence you're talking about it, it happens in in like a medium shot and it's it's not the the tension isn't really necessarily drawn to it but it's like whoa did that just happen and it, and because it happens so quick without any real focus or build up or a hit with the music, it almost feels like, whoa, like this is a real fight that's happening and unraveling organically. And it works really, really well for that reason. Because it isn't like this obnoxious, like close up shot of a prosthetic being ripped apart. It, it, right. By all intents and purposes, it looks like Leo swung and missed and cut off Tom Hardy's fingers when they were practicing. And it's like, oh <laughs> crap, it looked, did he, was he supposed to do that? <laughs> yeah. And it, exactly. and, it, and it works really, really well. It's interesting. I totally get what you mean. Because it's, they say that the character uh, Thomas Fitzpatrick, or the person, was known as Broken Hand because his left hand had been mangled in a firearms accident. Oh, interesting. So I wonder if they just they kind of like just decided to sort of build this sort of universe. And I'm glad that they do because movies are kind of that fun place where you can kind of play with fact and play with reality. And it didn't say at the beginning of the movie this is based on a true story, did it? I think it did actually, did it? or based on true events, true events or they like have that? they have different ways of 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 saying that. Um, but it may or may not have said that. Uh, 
I mean, I wouldn't hold it against it if it did. I mean, it is based on true events. So Fitzpatrick, just so you know, died of pneumonia. <laughs> Good to know. Good to know. <laughs> Here's a question I have for you, uh, and we can talk about specifics of some of the the middle stuff as well. Um, did any of that, you know, kind of middle stuff? We talked a little bit how maybe it was unnecessary when we were talking about you know reviewing the movie. Did any of it take you out of the movie in a way like, oh, now it's unrealistic? Was any of it so over the no, top that, that that it felt unrealistic to you? No, certainly not. Yeah, I didn't yeah, feel I so mean, either. This movie, if anything, I think if anything, this movie has to be commended for how sort of uh, almost to a fault how realistic and how I'm trying to think of the right word to express it, but I mean they filmed this entire movie outdoors with natural lighting. They, I mean, for all intents and purposes, Leo opened up an actual horse and slept inside it. I would not put it past Inaratu or DiCaprio to have actually done that for the shot. Like, I am I am not convinced they did everything they said they did. Um, there wow. doesn't seem to be any real CGI or chroma key trickery. Like, it, it looks like they just, they went out into the woods and they, they killed a horse and they slept inside it for a shot. Like, that's, <laughs> all right, fine. Tanae's... I, I, I'm like, I... I st- <laughs> Danae is, is uh, just realizing what we're talking about. There, there was a Tauntaun moment. Uh, if you'll go back to your Star Wars history, yes. where uh, where Leo, to keep warm, uh, stripped himself naked, cut open his horse, who had already died. He didn't kill the horse. The horse died in a fall, um, and and yeah, slept inside. An awesome shot, by the way. That is such a great shot. And another shot that you takes get, you completely how, by surprise. How do they do that? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, all of a sudden they're no. running off the side of a, a cliff and falling into the trees below. Amazing yeah, no, stuff. I mean, every, everything in that film was was done in, in such a uh, a realistic and, and sort of invisible, I think is a good word to describe the production. You don't, I know obviously there's edits and there's there must be visual effects and computer imagery somewhere, somehow to make chopping off someone's fingers or, or leaping a horse off a cliff look real. They obviously didn't do those things. Uh, they don't have a bear attack Leo, but the production is so seamless that all of these effects are invisible. I I bought it, like I believed everything I saw. Does this is, does this movie launch uh, Inaratu to kind of that next level of director where you know he's he's one of the big names? Um. I, I think he was already there. He won Best Director last year, and I think that pretty much got him there. Yeah, but that could have been a one-off thing. You know what I mean? Like, it, it just feels like with this movie, for me at least, maybe, maybe I'll just talk personally, because that's all I can do. Sure. I, I saw Birdman. I enjoyed it for what it was. I loved the conceit of it um, and the you know the one-take kindness of it. And there was certainly you know talent in how it was directed and how it was put together. But seeing this movie and then realizing it was the same director for me, put him on another level because this is a totally different kind of movie. He uses some of the same psychological, you know, uh, work to direct us and to, yeah. you know, direct the film. But at the same time, it's such a different feel of a movie. And for me... I, I, would, I would say this, that... Um, I, and I actually really loved Birdman. I thought it was, just from a filmmaking standpoint, a work of art and just incredible what they were able to do. So... Um, Having sort of already, I knew going in, Inaratu was going to direct Revenant. And that was, as soon as I heard that, I was like, I want to see this movie. He was so great with Birdman. I can't wait to see what this guy does next. And I think um, more for me and less for you, this was a confirmation and mm. less of a sort of like, for you, he, he moved up a level from like, I don't know, maybe a one shot uh, or maybe like a, a one time 
brilliant director too. Now he's consistent. He is able to deliver in different genres, and he's able to deliver well. For me, it was this guy was already on my radar, and now he's confirmed he needs to stay there. Yeah, I agree. I guess for me, yeah, that's a, I think that's a good way to say it. Um, and maybe for me, it's also like there are directors who I acknowledge how uh, great they are, uh, like Wes Anderson or Quentin Tarantino or two that come to mind. But they do the same kind of movies. You know what a Wes Anderson movie feels like. You yeah. know what a Quentin Tarantino movie feels like. And I'm not saying you don't know what an Inaratu movie feels like. You, there is some of that. But but it's there's something else a director can Spielberg can do this. Um, you know, there there are other uh, I would say Paul Greengrass can do this. There are other directors that it doesn't matter where they jump to. They 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 still have that genius touch. And you know, I don't know that Quentin Tarantino makes a great non-Quentin Tarantino movie, if you know what I mean. Uh, but I, I know exactly what you mean. I've watched a bunch of them this week, and they're all kind of the same thing, <laughs> right? For better, for better, and for worse, right? Exactly. And I was that was sort of my central complaint about the Hateful Eight. Like, this is a great, bloody, violent movie with brilliant writing and dialogue, but it's sort of the exact same thing we've seen from Tarantino for the last twenty years. Well, that's that's it's my the Reservoir Dogs in a Western. It's Pulp Fiction with a less non-linear story it's we've kind of seen this stuff before uh, that was my the sam jackson monologues you know it's, yeah exactly that was my my opening to you know my reviews now are five things you might want to know about a movie before it comes right. out and uh I my love the new format by the way oh thank you i appreciate that my opening was you could also title this one five things you already knew about quentin tarantino movies because <laughs> that's kind of you know that's kind of how it yeah. is so i'm really enjoying reading about uh some of the director's quotes as he's been interviewed and things like that I'm about the scenes, sure. and the natural lighting yeah, and just all that stuff. He's saying that they were shooting chronologically with the natural light. And so um, there was only about 20. He said the sun hits only where you need it to be for about 20 minutes a day. So what they would do is they would get there. They would practice. And then when the sun hit, they'd go. And if you don't get the shot, he says, during that 20 minutes, then you have, you're back the next day. So we had one absolutely nutty scene that involved running in and out of water, getting into a boat. Lots of guys on horses coming towards us, arrows, guns going off. All of that is one shot and your nerves are absolutely shredded. He said it's the most complicated movie that he's ever done. And he wanted to really show what it was like to live kind of in that moment. Um, If we fail, it's because we fail. Don't misunderstand me. I'm kind of a crazy guy, but it's the it's a good condition to be a little bit crazy. Uh, Yeah. I, I, I'm really on the lookout now for what he's, what, do we know what he's attached to next? As he said, do you know, John? I do not. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited to find out. I imagine it'll be ready for next December though. Can we get him on uh, can we get him on a Star Wars movie? (laughs) That would be fantastic. Get him attached. What could he, what could he do with like a, uh, one of those new anthology pictures? Right. Yeah. 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 Get him, get him on the, uh, the, I would love to see a lightsaber battle shot in his sort of, uh, his sort of gritty, uh, almost cinema verte style. Yeah. Observational cinema. Yeah. He, he has a way of really just shooting things as they happen and, and, and letting the action play out all one take sort of fluid moves that circle around the action. And, and almost showing off, like he—he's almost as if to say, like, "Look, there's no crew, there's no lights. I'm going to do a 360 shot just to prove to you that we're really doing this." And I kind of love that about him. Like he's—he's kind of showy in a good way. <laughs> I totally agree. I love this article. I would this—the one that I have been reading. Um, you guys probably like it's the Men's Journal. Cool. Inside okay. the Revenant, Leonardo DiCaprio on the toughest movie he's ever made. I believe I could open that in my texture app. 
You might be able to. <laughs> uh, well, anything else, guys? Anything else you want to mention? Uh, all things are game. We're in the spoiler cast, so anything you want to bring up is fine. Um, but I feel like we've had a really good conversation. I'm trying to think of some other moments that really caught my attention. Um, I don't know. I mean, it was it was such a dense movie. There was a lot of great imagery uh, and performances in this. I think Donald Gleason really needs to be get praised. He had a sort of a thankless role as the the sort of captain torn between his two soldiers, mm-hmm. whether or not he sort of believes Tom Hardy's account of what happened or if he holds out hope that Leo's still alive. And when he does come back, he's just like, all right, here's your money, here's your gun, like, go get him. And I really like that, the sort of a character portrayal of him, that he he was sort of sympathetic to Leo's cause. And he knew he was going to go off and and murder this guy, but he's like, you know what, you you should, and I'm going to help you. Yeah. Um, and I like that. He wasn't like, I'm going to look the other way, I don't agree with you. You like, I kind of expected him to say, like, let it go, we'll never see him again. But at the, but he's sort of like, you know what, if you're going to go after, if you want revenge, I'll help you. And I like that about him, because he didn't have a lot of screen time, but when we saw him, he was... Um, he was really sympathetic. I liked him a lot. Very I cool. would just want to remind that it really is true. He really did crawl back to civilization. That is the legend, yeah. And it was also mentioned in the legend that there were some Indians who actually stopped to help him by sewing the bear hide onto his back <clears throat> because he had exposed wounds. That is not in the movie. There is a, a Native American that that builds like a steam tent for him, like a healing tent mm-hmm. for him. Um, like he survived apparently on berries and just he scared off a couple of wolves apparently at one point in time so that he could have some meat off of mm-hmm. a carcass that he discovered. But yeah, he crawled like I back know, to where he needed to be. I want to know crazy. if Leo really grabbed a fish out of the water and ate it raw. I, w- I want Leo to, to to let us know if that was a prop or if he really ate that that fish because it looks I, so I, real. I, I can just can confirm based on my own knowledge of how he would operate. And yes, he pro- it was probably a planted fish in a closed off little pond. I, although to be fair, they could have easily just trapped a real one as as they showed in the film with their little mm-hmm. uh, the little dam trap there. Uh, and, and in all likelihood, they probably just did that. They brought, the crew probably built it, and they probably caught a real fish, and Leo probably jumped in there and ate it. Like, I don't, there's no reason to fake it, because Leo would be willing to do it. Would the, and, would the, and, it real, and sometimes it's easier just to do it the real way. They probably would get some flack uh, from the, the animal rights for killing a fish, right? Like, it would have to have already been dead before he, he ate it. Like, you can't anymore, you can't kill animals of any kind in, to film a movie as part of the, the story, really? right? I don't what, think what you can he, anymore. What if he, but, he, if, but if he ate it, it's not going to waste. It's not like he filmed it. Right, I uh, know, but I'm, I'm I, telling I you. I hear what you're saying. I, I just think that's the rule now. I don't, think you, I don't think you are allowed to kill any animal for the production. I think it has to be dead already and then used in the production if you're going to use an actual animal. I hope that's true. I think that's the... Because the movies will say no animals were harmed in the making of this, right. this film to get that like seal of did, approval. Did, that, did this movie say that? <laughs> that's true. I don't know. I also uh, found, a better question is: I, It was a seal. What do they approval. do on? What do they do on um, Bear Grylls and and Running Wild? Does, does he? Well, those I are more. Like he just eats, he kill. Yeah, those are more documentary style TV shows, though. Those aren't you know they're not. So that's they can a man. Act, yeah, he's acting out of his own volition. It's not part of you know 
producing the story, so to speak. That's a very mild distinction, I would think. But yeah, I think that's probably what it is. Uh, Landry, I don't know who this person is. I'm just, uh, according to the historical and wilderness technical advisor on the film, he did not eat raw bison liver for real. So I would assume, based on that, that they didn't make him do, or he didn't choose to do all kinds of other things. So the props guy had to come up with artificial bison liver for the scene. They showed me a picture of it. It was made of protein bars, and it looked real. But it was made of protein <laughs> bars. <laughs> I feel like I feel like bison liver is a bit different than fish because people do eat raw fish, right? Um, whereas I feel like bison liver might be where Leo draws the line. But I, I wouldn't put it past them <laughs> if they did it for real. I would totally get it. He wants that. If Oscar. they had to fake it, he. And that's what I'm saying. Like I, I would not put it past him at all to Could have be. actually eaten a raw fish. The world may never know. Again, Sometimes the easiest solution is is just the quickest solution, which is to actually just catch a fish and eat it. There you go. There you go. Well, thanks, guys. That's good spoiler stuff. We'll, we cannot spoil for you whether or not Leo actually did the things in the movie, but we can uh, have a great conversation. John, it is always great having you on, man. Yeah, thank you for joining us. It's so great to, you to hear your, your voice and your opinions and to, to have you on, and we look forward to when we can do that again. So thanks for coming by. Super duper. Not a problem. Thanks for having me. Danae has a look on her face. We'll finish with whatever it is that just put a look on Danae's face. Danae, take us out. Um, well, I, I happened to come across a picture of a snake in it's on a table uh, with a little helmet attached to it to knock it out. And it, it's like one of those cream colored snakes, really huge, at a veterinary clinic a veterinary in Belgium. veterinary clinic in Belgium. How did you know? <laughs> That's what I'm looking at. I read Reddit too. Oh my goodness, that is insane. Here, Aaron, you ready to look at it? I just like that's awesome. I just like that you called it one of those cream-colored snakes, as if that's the way we'll all know what you're albino. talking about. Is it an albino? Albino one? snake. Oh, it looks like an albino is, python. It is or huge. Something. That is terrifying. And on that note, we'll catch you next time. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.